Hey everybody, this is Carlos. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with Kenny Saito of Bow Affliction. Kenny is the founder of one of the hottest morphs in the industry, the Carbon Jeep. We're going to talk about how he got involved in the Boa game and his plans for the upcoming season. Finally, we're going to talk about what it's like to launch a new morph, and he will give us some tips for working a new project to its fullest capacity. Borac Radio is on the air now! Welcome everybody to Boa Rack Radio. I'm your host, Carlos Rojas of Morphs Unleashed. And with me is my co-host, Chaz Shillings of Low Key Boys. Chaz, what's up, brother? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Glad to have you on here, dude. So I, ho- I hope you're uh, enjoying your Memorial Day. You guys do anything today? Anything special? Um, We took my uh, my buddy's Can-Am out on some trails down south and Ooh, nice. uh, Box Canyon, like in Florence area. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, just been hanging out, man. Doing a little barbecue right now and uh, just enjoying the day with uh, friends and family. And uh, I'm excited to be back, man. Thank you for having me very much. Yeah, no, glad to have you. Thanks for jumping on today, man. So, Chaz, I'm super excited about our guest today. It's our uh, good buddy, Kenny Saito of Boa Affliction. So, Kenny's based out of California, and he's well-known for his work with Aztec Boas and other morphs, but really, the thing that most people know him for is the fact that he's the founder of the Carbon Gene. So, Kenny, welcome to the show, man. Howdy, boys. Thanks for having me, and happy Memorial Day. Yeah, happy Memorial Day, guys, and uh, shout out to... All the Gold Star families out there that have sacrificing. Also, shout out to all our active duty and veterans. Absolutely. So, guys, uh, really wanted to get Kenny on the show. And for those that uh, haven't had a chance to uh, know Kenny or know about Kenny, Kenny has really been uh, pioneering and kind of spearheading probably one of the hottest morphs right now in the market, which is the Carbon Gene. But for those who haven't had a chance to really know about Kenny or talk about him, Kenny, give us a little bit of background on how you got involved with snakes and how eventually that got you involved with boas. Well, like pretty much everybody else who I've listened to on your podcast, as a child, super interested in animals of all kinds. Uh, Specifically for me, at maybe three or four years old, I loved dinosaurs, you know. That was... um, something that I delved into as far as books and whatever shows were available at that time. But animals in general, uh, going in my grandmother's backyard, flipping every board and rock, catching salamanders, alligator lizards and what was available. And um, it it grew as time went on. And of course, when I got to be older, in my nine uh, nine or 10 years old, we'd go herping in the hills, the oil fields in... Oh, yeah. In the, I guess it's... Inglewood, L.A., I don't know what they call it now, but it's, it was a Baldwin Hills dam. After it burst, it turned into this one desolate um, area of nothingness. And we used to go out there, ride our bikes uh, as little kids, go up there and just catch snakes, uh, gopher snakes, king snakes, uh, swifts, or whatever we could find. So my love and interest of reptiles grew from there. And a well, funny thing, too, because in where I live was the Crenshaw District. It's, you know, South Central L.A. Right. Uh, there weren't many reptile stores, but there were a few in Culver City and such. But there was one obscure uh, location off of uh, Santa Barbara, which is now King Boulevard near Crenshaw. And it's called Sharky and Simpson, or it was called. <laughs> and it was, I, I throw that out there because I've Googled it and I have yet to see anybody mention it or any, but it is this building. You walk in, it's humid, uncomfortable, dark. And in there, once you walk through the doors, it's wall to wall cages, uh, aquariums, walk in enclosures, all reptiles. And really? Wow. It was the craziest heaven 
for a child like myself to to uh, have that close to home. And uh, from there, I started getting into uh, getting my own snake. And of course, like I heard everybody else, parents were against reptiles and such. So it took a while, but eventually I got garter snakes and my mother allowed me to have them in the garage. Uh, and that was, you know, for three years, that's all I wanted until I saw my buddy have a boa constrictor. And that just, it, it took me uh, into another level because of the way that it looked, the way that it moved and the scales were totally different than the killed scales of a, a, a garter snake. Right. Yeah, and he, he was an asshole because he never let me hold it, but I could touch <laughs> it. <laughs> and so, for whatever that was, but it, it, it uh, eventually brought me towards my um, wanting that morph, or not morph, that species. And so, right. it took a couple of years, but eventually I got one. And I kept it in the garage and, and at some point brought it into the house. I think I was, what, 11 or 12? And this is going to be a shout out to my mom because she... She hated the fact that any rodents being eaten, you know, the goldfish with the garter snakes were fine. Yeah. She didn't like it, but it wasn't, you know, terrorizing to her. But she did hide the fact that I had them in the house. And she hid <laughs> it from my father. So shout out to Mama for that. <laughs> that's a big step. So that's how I got into appreciating the boa constrictor through all the very uh, animals that I've had or appreciated in the past. Right, man. So let me ask you, when did you kind of start delving into morph boas. When did that whole thing begin? Um, okay, this is going to be a little bit of a long one, but I'll give you yeah, go for it, short man. it out. Uh, I, I've always wanted to do, we've always had friends that say, listen, when we had our own place, we're going to do this, and I'm going to have a damn zoo. I don't care oh, yeah. what you say, oh, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So, I think that's all of us in college, <laughs> so, bro. Yeah, that was me. Man, yeah. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, I you know bought a house, uh, raised two kids and it, you know, it took a while, but every, as long as I remember, I've always had two things, no matter where I went, including my wife's uh, parents' house when we first moved in at 17, I brought along snakes and aquariums. And shout out to them for letting me do it too, because I've had Nile monitors, I've had snakeheads in a bedroom oh, <laughs> in their house, and eventually, you know, I've had everything. It just, I don't want to start going down the list but i pretty much had everything under the sun so after my kids grew and i had you know a boa constrictor in the house and i even had a hog nose but uh, as my kids got older i decided that that now was the time because i started making big money and that i we had a party room in the back with a pool table we used to play cards and such gutted it out set up uh, a menagerie of cages like the most awesome reptile house in any zoo that you ever, you know, <laughs> could imagine for your own personal wants and needs. And I started uh, collecting animals and you know, raising hognose, uh, crested geckos, had indigos, um, satanic geckos, you know, all these odd, odd weird things that I used to see on TV or right. read in the books that I could now get because of the way the market was. And so I did that. And that's, and I had a couple boas. And so I even had Peruvians at that point. Oh, nice. But as time went on, I had to realize that it's, there's no money coming in when you do stuff like that. There's no yeah. way I couldn't sell shit. I couldn't sell a hognose to save my life or a crested gecko. So as time went on, about three years, I decided to start looking and focusing in on bull morphs. Okay. And in 2010, I took the big leap and I moved my location I had a house, I had a, uh, the house where I live, I set up there, but eventually I moved out to a house not too far away, 
and started over and got Freedom Breeder Racks, did it right, Freedom yeah. Breeder Racks yeah. and, um, and some visions and such. And then I decided, and then I started with brand new stock. And so I bought a group of bulls from Tracy okay. Parker and uh, Steve Erig bought a, a big jungle from him. Uh, I'm going to throw Eric some names that people made. Shout out to Steve Erig. He made the best jungles yeah. The absolutely the most yep. classic pattern with the best color. I remember those. Oh man, that guy was yep. literally a legend. Oh yeah, N nicest guy on the planet too. And I'll explain that later when we get our shoutouts towards the end, because uh, he shared a lot of information with me on the inside and some of the dirtiness that goes on with other breeders. Right. Uh, and then I don't know if anybody remembers uh, Jeff Carr. Oh West yeah. Coast. Mm -hmm. All right, so I bought a couple RLTs from him and some other stuff. And so basically, that was the beginning of bow affliction. And yeah. that's uh, when I started to do the stupid stuff like buy T-shirts, business cards, <laughs> <laughs> set up a website. Yeah, but the T-shirts sell more than my snakes do, so I guess it wasn't that stupid. Um, you have great T-shirts. So man. that's They're where so it comfortable. <laughs> I still wear your T-shirts you sent me like five, six years ago, man. When I'm cleaning, they're the yeah. best, and dude, right they're so on. comfortable. Especially the blue one. I've always like. I've always liked that yeah. one, man. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> See, I need and to get on some those of that. Are to be mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's, they were stocking stuffers, barely. I mean, it was basically padding and uh, marketing. You have a yeah. good logo, and, too, man. You, know, you have a good logo, and it looks good. Well, and uh, yeah, thank you. So that was the beginning. Shifting from a hobby collection into that idea of trying to get into a, more of a breeding collection, was there any sort of event? Well, no. It, when I, when, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, when, that, when I decided to in, reinvest the uh into that collection that i had a, a certain thing in mind and the number one thing was the aztec vpi t positive brian tannery had one i saw it and i said okay well that's going to be my goal for now eventually always of course you're going to want to do a snow after that and if you're crazy enough to you have the time and luck you're going to make a moon glow so that was my initial quest to get into the, uh, spending the big money on the boas and such. So did that. And also I had purchased a lot of other stuff. I, I got a couple of sharp uh, albinos, uh, a super, uh, it was a um, pos hits, uh, possible super ghost that proved out later on, thank God, and some other things. But eventually I narrowed it down to just focusing on what I liked. Like everybody else says, you know, if you're going to do it, do what you like. So I managed to move a lot of that stuff out that wasn't geared towards the um, bringing the Annery, Aztec, and VPI together at some point down right. the line. Right. So that, that's the beginning of what I wanted to do, and that's where I'm at now, actually. Yeah, no, dude, that's actually really great because it shows that your early focus is now kind of paying dividends later on, you know what I mean? Um, was there anybody that kind of mentored you or people that inspired you when you were getting started in this process? Absolutely, and it is, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have, are going to you know, feel the same way, that Tracy Barker really uh, gave it her, her, her all when she sold me the group. She uh, told me how she breeds and certain things that she does, the tenting and all these other things that never heard before. And, of course, everybody goes online and goes to the groups and hears everybody's opinions on how they should breed and uh, cycling and all these other things. But I, I, I read all that and tried it. But she really told me some things uh, in regards to husbandry as well to try. And lo and behold, 
I paired up the uh, an Aztec that I bought in 09 or 10. Yes, yeah, so right. I bought it in 09 and then uh, paired it with a 100% het adult female that I got off for really cheap in a, in a package deal. Right. And out of the three or four pairings I had, my very first tri uh, trial or trying, it, it hit. That's the only one out of all of them that hit. And so, you know, it was because of her mentoring and such that I did that. And also another mentor that I had early on was Steve, SDI. He uh, kind of gave me some insight on how <laughs> some of the people are in the industry. And he shared with me some of the, the violently ignorant emails that he received from somebody who, who was uh, sabotaging the market. You know, he, right. Steve was, I think, the first one to do a Aztec uh, jungle. Mm -hmm. and I think that was in 2010. And he reached out. He did the right thing. He reached out to everybody who was in the project. We talked about pricing points and certain things and such. And so uh, as soon as uh, it was learned that he had that litter, the prices dropped elsewhere. And it basically just destroyed the project right. for everybody, including myself. And that's when I dumped all my sharp, mm. <laughs> my sharp uh, uh, breeders because I saw where that was going. So. And I it, it focused on VPI thereafter. So he opened my eyes on a lot of things and basically supported me on that. So that's early on, and that's before I met Chaz and everybody else. Yeah. yeah. I'm right there with you, though, Kenny. I think it was right around that time, 2008, 2009, that I first reached out through to Tracy. And, uh, man, I can't tell you, Dave and Tracy Barker are some of the most humblest, most knowledgeable, like, passionate. Just Absolutely. their books. Absolutely. It, it, like, I was even – I was so – Nah, what's the word? Scared, but I was just so nervous reaching out to them through a, through a friend to, to purchase a snake. And when she replied, <laughs> well, with there's a people, level of intimidation when you're dealing with somebody that well known. Yep. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. You look at the website, and at that time, you know, like the VPIs, they're still a, a unbelievably great gene. But she she had all of them. Like they she, they are they are VPI. You know, and so. Like I remember getting my first VPI boa from her and just being just like staring at it, just being like, and then the way she, the same with Kenny, the same, she, same way she kind of mentored me. She's really, really patient. Like she will actually answer emails and uh, she answers man, phone calls. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Yeah. And I can't imagine how many people try to call her and how busy they are, let alone with their, just with writing and with the amount of animals they have. But I'll second that, man. Like people like that. I don't think she probably does know, but she doesn't even realize how 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 big of a positive effect she has on the hobby and people like me. And then I tr ho hopefully I've tried to pass that on to other people. But I, I'll 100% second that. Like that was a huge step for me when she helped me because I she gave me a few tips, kind of filled in the blanks with with a few things that I didn't quite understand. And yeah, it was huge for me, man. And to this day, I, one of the one of the greatest memories I have is when she actually called called me to be like purchase a snake back for me. And I was like, no, I was like, no way. Like, there's no way you actually want a snake from me. But uh, yeah, that's the kind of person she is. It's a testament to her. She, she, she sells snakes and she reinvests money into other, other people's snakes, man. She's, they're just unbelievable people, man. I can't say enough great things about Dave and Tracy. Yeah, no, and I think I can third it if I can, because, you know, one of my first pairs of uh, VPI snakes actually came from uh, Tracy, because what I ended up doing is I ended up picking up a 2.2 uh, uh, Hypo Jungle uh, VPI mm -hmm. pair, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them, or two of them were actually possible hats, right? And I bait, and when I was searching, you know, she'd be sending me pictures, and eventually, I, you know, I just went to her and I said, you know what, Tracy? You pick whatever ones you feel are going to prove out, and I'll trust yeah. you 
based on your own opinion. And she picks them out, and guess what? Both of them proved out. And yeah. that actually helped me get established. Nice. And mind you, this is like back in 2005, dude. You know oh, what I big mean? Big money. Big money. Big money back in those yeah. days, right? <laughs> yeah, man. That's when, uh, yeah, that's when I, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. That's when I first met Tony um, Green at, and that's yeah. the first time I ever saw a visual VPI. And I was like, oh my God, like it's, that was such a big purchase, such a rare snake that, um, you know, she just, uh, uh, t- kudos to her, man. Kudos to her that she would actually help you out and, and you know, try to put, try to pick something out for you. It's nice. Cause it's not, I don't think you'd find that across the board, you know? No, absolutely. She, she absolutely. genuinely wants you to be successful and she genuinely takes the time to put you at ease and, um, it's paid off. Exactly. Look how it's paid off for Kenny. She, she changed Kenny's life. She, Help yeah. had a positive effect on his collection. The same with mine, man. Yeah, same here, man. So, Kenny, let me ask you: What are some things outside of reptiles that you're into, or things that you know kind of pique your interest? Uh, well, before uh, kids and such, I was into golf, fishing, hiking, camping. We did all the outdoorsy stuff, me and my wife, and we've been together since we were 17. Yeah, and loved all that stuff. And then family came along. We did our family thing and worked our asses off. Blah blah blah. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, lately, so fast forward that you know I had these past interests. Um, sleeping is my number one pastime. <laughs> then after that. that is uh, yeah, and it's uh, right now. What what am I doing? I'm looking at culinary school as a possible way to get out behind a desk, which I've been doing for 30 years, and I just hate it. Yeah, um, working in a garden right now. I'm trying to get a garden going with me and my daughter, bonding. The archery and hunting was huge. It, I mean, I was loving it, and I loved it so much I destroyed my elbow and my shoulder. Yep. <laughs> Try, trying to pull a 70-pound, 75-pound bow at my age. Yeah. Um, those are things that get me going. But right now, because of what's been happening, I had, you know, I, oh, I took time off, and I walked out of two jobs. Yeah. And I was hoping that the bows would pay, you know, pay the difference, and we could w- figure that out. Uh, I traveled. I Took time. I did international travel. I took my daughter overseas, and then yeah, I you guys went solo. to Japan recently, right? Mm-hmm. Went, well, yeah, I went to Japan. Love that. That was awesome. Uh, and went to Israel and then Jordan Ooh. and did these things because this is my bucket list. What I'm doing now, before it becomes an actual need for a bucket list, I am living my bucket list now. Hey, hey good for you, bro. <laughs> you know, good it's a little you, selfish, dude. man. I'm on my back nine. I'm gonna do it. I mean, I have life insurance, so if anything happens to me, my family's gonna be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, good for you, dude. Like, so, um, Chaz, one of the things I don't know if uh, if I told you about is I've been trying to nag Kenny to come out here to Arizona to visit us. Yeah, I've been try- trying to get him to, to get move out here. <laughs> yeah, dude, he should. I'm trying to get him up here to Flagstaff to just come deer hunting with me up here. Um, oh, he'd love it up there, man. He'd oh, love yeah. it up there. Yeah, yeah man. But yeah, yeah man, it's, a gra- it's a great place, man. It's affordable. It's safe. It's cheap. It's, it's a little different in L.A., but... Um, you know, I understand that's where he grew up and that's what he's comfortable with. But man, I would love. Oh, it I'm not. Here. I'm sick of this place. I went out. <laughs> yeah, you're you're more than welcome to come over here, man. I mean, there's there's so many great <laughs> little spots in Arizona. But yeah, dude, come on out anytime. Well, my, I was just telling uh, Carlos earlier that my wife's niece just bought a place in Prescott Valley, uh, mm-hmm. and they are super excited. They live in Carson, California. They don't even see what I see, and they're excited to get out there. And I've been looking. At Prescott's Prescott nice, man. North. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, it, you, yeah. You get four seasons out there, right? It's not. A, oh, absolutely. Where you're getting blasted. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're currently doing with your collection, and maybe some of the things that you're currently pursuing. So, right now, what's your primary project focus? My right now, because I want to duplicate the carbon litter to show there with different breeders to show there's a consistency in the contrast, the colors, and so forth. 
just to show that it's a very viable that, uh, gene. And mm -hmm. the good thing about it is Chaz has quite a bit of what I have. He's going to be able to help me out with that part mm -hmm. and eventually, hopefully, um, make it easier for people to be willing to invest the kind of money that the project deserves. That's number one. Number two is to the outcrossing I decided to do in 2015. And so I bought into a pair of IMGs from Weitzman. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was going to be some of the outcrossing things that I was going to do and bringing the carbon into the IMG. And then eventually I bought into the Labby fire project right. with yep. Jeff's um, stock, which I'm grateful that I did because you saw what he did with that uh, Labby annery. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that's, a smoke, it just, it just that's a smoking combo, man. That's fantastic. Yeah, those two play really well and together. And it's still I was it's not even second floor. Yeah, and it, well, no, it's it's and that's only the beginning. I mean, it, it's it's just there's so much more you can do with it, and there's so many other projects that genes that I'm not even going to bother trying to get into because I'm so far away behind, and I don't have the space or time to do it. Yeah. So it, it just there's so much more to be done for everybody who's willing to take the chance to get in, you know invested in it. And, no, I'll I'm second done. you on that, man. It's it's. It is hard. It's hard to do it all. Um, like I, a, a, a good friend of mine used to say, man, like it's you can't do it all. And he, he used to be like, I'll gladly let someone else do it and kind of maybe get back into it down the road. But um, yep. all the projects and stuff. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to get some great animals from Kenny. And I've been working on the same type of thing. He said outcrossing. And um, hopefully, you know, when I'm able to make something good, that it's good for both of us, man, because the project is unbelievable. Like I was fortunate enough a week or two ago to make some really nice VPI Aztecs um, with the red rum pastel mm -hmm. gene. Nice. And they're all a hundred percent, they're all a hundred percent BEA. And um, man, they're just, they're just unbelievable. And it really speaks to the quality line of Kenny's, the, the Aztecs, which he kind of glossed over, but the Aztecs that he used to found his, his founding group of Aztecs were some of the most unbelievable, heavily patterned, heavily like un red undertones that you'll ever see. And when he made that first litter, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, I was literally just, I think I was surfing through some forums and that's when I came upon it. He had like literally the reddest Aztec that you'll ever see. And I was like, oh my God, who is this guy? I just remember thinking like, this is the, this is the best Aztec I've ever seen. And that's when they're still relatively very new. I, I wanna say it was 2011, Kenny? 2010 or 11? Yep. Yeah, man. So uh, actually, 2000, 2000, uh, 2012 was my first litter. Yeah, where you had that huge red Aztec girl that was hanging over your vision tub. I'll never forget that picture, man. It was just a pure red Aztec. You know which one I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, That's the mother of the carbon. Yeah. Yeah, she ended up proving. So, and, and Kenny's the story behind the work that he put in to actually prove out that line and actually make a carbon is, in, is incredible. But that. That one founding female, that Aztec female, was so unbelievable. Because he started out with quality. He paid a lot of yeah. money. He worked very, very hard. He worked on specifically um, line breeding some stuff. And it, it, it paid out huge for him, man. It really did. It's, it's really an amazing there, story, man. There was a lot of luck. Yeah. yeah and you. let me ask you, Chaz, is that the Aztec line that you're currently working with? Yes. I, I'll, I'll be 100% I'll be honest. I, I, there's a few genes that I just seem to gravitate towards. And like I talked about before, jungle is one of them. I, I absolutely love labyrinth. Um, I don't, Aztecs are not one of my favorites, but I will say I absolutely love Kenny's. Kenny's, the Aztecs that Kenny makes are heavily patterned, super connected saddles. And then when you start talking about his um, BEA stuff, they're, they're just, 
intensely black, crisp, crisp black snakes with right. silver. You know, they're, they're just the highest quality Aztecs that I've really seen out there, man. And I, I wouldn't buy Aztecs from just anyone. And I've yep. been fortunate to get all my stuff pretty much from Kenny, man. And it's been, it's been a huge blessing, man. His, his animals are always healthy. They're always big. It's just, it's just a testament to him, man. Like, I, I can't say good enough things about the snakes I've gotten from him. Yeah, no, and the only reason that I that I ask is because I actually have a couple Aztecs from you, right? And then uh, one of the Aztecs that I have from you is kind of how you guys are describing, just an extremely red Aztec. It ain't a pastel or nothing like that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the level of redness, you would swear that this thing is, you know, like a, you know, that it's a red rum in a lot of ways because it's yeah. so red and so so thick, thick patterned. And that's yeah, the thing man. I love about Carlos. Kenny do you too? have some of my Aztecs? I think I do, sir. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to well, say I that's the thing. I can't you anymore. You're done. <laughs> you can never have enough you can never have enough no because I, I was gonna say like the thing about kenny is me and him text a lot like kenny's really really smart like real creative he, he he'll take a long time and he'll stare at his snakes a lot and he's been able to identify a lot of markers and me right. and him are both working on like the markers like what does this paradoxing mean what is this you know he's gotten red splotches on on um, black-eyed anneries and right he stared he's got yellow and all these different color variations and he, he really takes the time to inspect all of his litters and see like what he's gotten and he's working on proving out well what does this mean and what does that mean and he's just he puts a lot of time and effort and like i don't know heart into his pairings and you know the animals he keeps back yeah that's awesome man and i think that kind of speaks to the to what we talked about during your podcast and that is the fact that you know you try to focus on quality to really improve your entire boa game right most people yeah. just want to get a gene to have a gene right but they yeah. don't necessarily look out and try to get the best example of that gene for the money that they have right a lot of people yeah. would rather go out and buy two or three like let's say i want to pick up an asset a lot of people would out there would rather go out and spend $2,000 on two Aztecs rather than spend $2,000 on one exceptional Aztec, right? Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that most people new to the hobby make, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. You you are what you start with, man. You you are your founding your founding animals. You can't, like I was saying earlier, like you can't create, it's, it's going to be really hard to create an Aztec that looks like Kenny's that has as much color that the pattern is just completely saturated and connected. If you're not starting with some of these like real, real quality lines that he's that he's worked on and that, you know, that have come from him. So that's my take on it. I'm sorry. I'm talking too much. guys. <laughs> no, it's all not. good, man. No, that's Give great. Man. A break. So, Kenny, let me ask you, man, what are some current projects that got you excited? Well, my latest investment, which was or which is the um, Labby. I, I'm really looking forward to see what that can do. And I, I didn't get regular labs like everybody else has the uh, VPI versions. Of I got the fire because I do believe the fire is a gene worth investing in. I held back 3.3 Aztec fire, well, combination Aztec fires and regular fires that are 50% posset uh, carbon blackout anery. So I, and you know, because when you invest that kind of... Uh, when you hold back that kind of stuff, you're investing in the future, which means you're going to have to buy more racks and you're going to have to spend so much more money getting these things up to size and breeding them. So it's, you know, you're talking 10, 15 years down the line just before you probably will see anything come to fruition. So it's a huge investment. It's not, you know, one of those things, you oh, I'm going to try it later and see what happens. But you really, it's a really, it's a, it really takes concentration and dedication to see these projects through. 
So yeah. that's the one thing that I really am looking forward to and whatever pops out in any future litters. And I've been lucky to have anomalies in every single litter that I've had so far. That's awesome, yeah. man. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later on, about how you end up yeah. working some of those potential anomalies to see if it's something that will eventually prove out. Yeah. I know one thing that I love doing just in general, whether it's ball pythons or boas or whatever else, is I love messing around with dinkers, right? I like seeing something unique in an animal and trying to see if it's going to be inheritable. So, yeah, yep. I totally get that, man. <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you, what are some important lessons that you've learned uh, when you set up your uh, – your reptile business when you set up bow affliction? Lessons I've learned is basically trial and error. Everything is a lesson and, you know, you're going to make mistakes. I've made them and I've wasted tens of thousands of dollars trying different things. Um, I'm really just fumbling through it, to be honest with you. I'm every day. It's just everything's new and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm figuring it out. Um, one thing is that I did run into financial issues in 2015-16, and it's because of Chaz coming through again. He basically not only supported me in the very beginning, he also uh, bought a lot of stuff, invested in the stock, and right. carried me through some part times. And one thing that, uh, when you're starting a business, you have to maintain your market value and, and other things, but don't sell under a panicish situation you have to find other ways amen to if you're going to have any yeah. reputable you know it's yeah. yeah and i've tried to do it i mean I've, i'm guilty of doing some things but right now i've priced my shit high and you don't want to buy it that's good that means you're not invested in the project you could care less about the project people who buy into if it, it care about the project if anything that's a credit to you kenny because um you know not everyone's the same and you, you, you keeping the value of your animals says a lot about you. It says a lot about the people you previously sold to. It says a lot about what you think of the yeah. project and how much you value it. Because that's not the same across the board. And I, you didn't do me any favors, man. I was glad to get, those, to get the animals I had from you. And uh, yeah, man, I, I think that says a lot about your character. And that's why I touched on on previous issues. Like buy from people that have great, that you think have good character, that you're comfortable with, that that take the time to talk to you and you have respect for it as a person and as a boa breeder. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, man. You know what? I'm glad that you guys brought that up because I actually had this conversation with another relatively well-known boa breeder and he, um, you know, at the beginning of the year ran into some financial issues. He reached out for me to me and he was like, hey, man, I recently lost my job. Uh, would you be interested in purchasing these snakes? I'll give you like a smoking deal on it and everything else. And what I ended up saying to him uh, was basically like what I would love to take advantage of a situation at that point and get, you know, really super high end stuff for, you know, pennies on the dollar. Right. Mm -hmm. I really wouldn't feel good about that. And the fact that I, you know, he's one of my best friends in the hobby and I want him to ensure that he stays in the hobby. I told him essentially, tell you what, man. I'll lend you some money. We'll use whatever snakes as a collateral. As soon as you get a job squared away, you can take the snake back for exactly what you pay, you put into it. You know what I mean? I'll mm -hmm. cover your stuff. I'll get you through those, those moments as much as I can, at least from my end, right? And I think the fact that, you know, and this kind of speaks to like Chaz's character and, you know, the fact that, and, and what really having good people in the boa industry to support you is like, is the fact that, you know, whenever you run into any sort of issues, you can count on people who understand your dilemma. And as long as you don't do something, you know, stupid like panic sell, right? Which yeah. is very tempting. Yeah. You know, you're going to have people that are going to help you, you know, 
get you through those tough times. Yeah, because life happens, man. You can't. Oh, totally. You can't make you. You can't. You don't always uh, see what's coming. So I mean, he's not. You know, stuff happens that you can't account for. So man, hats off to you. Hats off to Kenny. Because yeah, it's it's a tough issue that I've I've seen a lot of people go through, or you kind of see it from a distance. You know, you see people selling off collections, and you wonder, you know, kind of what's going what's going on behind the doors. But you don't you don't always know their motives or know what's going on in their personal life. So you know. It's, 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 it's sometimes it's heartbreaking, but yeah, I'm yeah. glad both, I'm glad we're all still around. Yeah, no, likewise, man. And I think especially right now, the reality is with COVID going on, a lot of people are starting to lose their jobs and yeah. the thought of that panic sell is, you know, even more existent. So what I would tell people in those situations is try to really take a, you know, clear and unbiased look of whether or not it's worth it for you to dump a significant investment of not only your money but of yeah. your time yeah. in order to get some quick cash. You, and you if there's the other th- and if there's other things you can do, do the other things first. You know what I mean? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head like Kenny said before. Like these projects they take 10 plus years, 10 to 15 years. It's not just the money. You know, whether it's $500 or $5,000, it's it's the years. It's the years of raising yeah, up the females. It's the 4 or 5 years like you won't get those back no matter how hard you try back down the road and you you're you're i don't think you're certainly going to get your money out of it that you put into it in the first place so absolutely it's just it's a predicament man it's it certainly is a predicament for some people so kenny uh with that said where do you see the future of the hobby moving towards with uh somebody with my very little expertise in the current market because i don't follow the forums i really don't talk to many people i really don't know what's going on i mean i talked to serge and and Chaz, and that's pretty much it. I really don't have a clue on what other people are looking at. So I would say, in a nutshell, basically the the fire jeans and the the newer morphs. And of course, I'm going to give a shout out to the carbon jean and the RDR stuff. But I think that's the future for now. And anybody, because anybody can plug into what they like into these jeans, right? And make it work for them i think to me that's the future i don't know there might be some stuff out there i don't know about and that's fine but i'm happy with my little ignorance (laughs) my little (laughs) my lack of knowledge and i'm happy my little world i love it yeah man there's nothing wrong with that dude because obviously it's really about finding your lane and really enjoying being in that lane right yeah definitely all right guys so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we're going to talk about the carbon sheet All right, guys, we're back. So uh, now I want to take a little bit of time to talk about the carbon gene since we have Kenny on, on the call. So um, in recent years, we've seen the resurgence of anery boas. Uh, for those unfamiliar with uh, anatherism, basically it's the lack uh, or the inability to produce red pigment, which results in a boa that's theoretically black and white, right? So the reality is that just like every other morph, there's going to be a significant variance in color of some of the boas. So some of them are going to range from having that white color be white 
to a cream all the way up to a yellow, right? So up until a few years ago, there was two primary lines of uh, anery boas. Uh, type 1, which is uh, the most common line among Colombian boas, and then type 2, which is the most common among uh, Central American boas. These lines are incompatible with each other. And then a few years ago, uh, our friend Kenny discovered a third independent line while breeding an Aztec boa, and uh, he ended up eventually naming this the Carbon line. So this line is known for its extremely clean, uh, high-contrast black and white coloration. And this line so far has been guarded a lot of attention in past few years because of that clean look and especially uh, recently with the discovery of the pied boa there's people talking significantly about what it that this might be the ideal anery line to be able to eventually create the panda pied right so anyway Kenny um, give us a quick history of the carbon and how you ended up uh, eventually uh, developing that gene um, well, from the original Aztec that I had purchased in 2009 or 10, I forgot, <laughs> I bred it to a het VPI that I got from Tracy Barker. Uh, we had a litter in 2012, uh, some nice, healthy babies, beautiful, dark as hell. And, you know, of course, I shared that because that was partially uh, Tracy's uh, litter because of the assistance she gave me in the in the breeding and such and she questioned she says hey you, you sure your your uh, Aztec isn't head Henry I said I don't know it wasn't sold to me being head Henry uh, let me go back to the breeder and find out and I shot out an email to them they came back with no promises and okay so what the fuck does that mean is it a type one type two do you guys I know they had some and I just didn't get any information on it I said okay well I don't know we'll figure it out later on and time went on I totally forgot about it uh, so through the litter, I sold, brokered out a lot of them. I uh, couldn't sell shit. And plus, I was working full time and it's a new job. And it just didn't have the time to do everything that I wanted to do as far as marketing. And I sold right. that anyway. So uh, I kept three or four of the best. And uh, what I did down the line is I paired up the most brightest, prettiest one. And Chaz, this is the, the female that you're talking about hanging out of the vision tub. Absolutely. That's the female. And I held back one of these normal males that just had, and I see a lot of the babies now that I have from the 2019 litter have these same colorations and these, these odd looking red tones uh, on the dorsal, ladder dorsal, and you know, below the, um, the side marking. It's, just, it's all over the place, but you can kind of tell there's some, it's breaking through some lines. Right. So what I did is I held them back, bred them back together just to prove out that red and to see if I could, you know, uh, compound that and make it something crazy and in 2015 uh, they both proved out to be het tea wow. which was amazing you know, how lucky can you get and yeah. then of course the there you see purple bowl is sitting there in the litter and then black eyed anneries were there and boom and again i reached out to the aztec breeder and i said hey what do you think about these what's going on with this goose egg got nothing back and at that point, I said, okay, well, now it's mine. I'm going to go with it, and i got to figure it out. And so right. what I had to do there was name it something different from the RDR, which is the other um, Black Eyed Henry out there, uh, as a request from the other person doing it. So I had to name it something, so I named it Non-RDR. How original was that, right? It was a beautiful <laughs> Non-RDR Black Eyed Henry. And I You're a marketing it, genius, and, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, at some point... You know, eventually I was going to prove out that, that uh, the, the snow. And this is my ultimate goal five years earlier coming to fruition. And lo and behold, I, I did it. Uh, you know, you can't imagine the uh, satisfaction and surprise and uh, 
unrealistic feeling. Oh, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when you saw that first snow. You know, I didn't out say there. shit. I sat there and I just drooling. <laughs> it was just, I didn't believe what I saw, to be honest with you. And so there, I saw that it was a viable. Uh, it worked well with the VPI, and so at that point, I said, "Okay, well, we're going to have to come up with something with this." And so I came up with the name Carbon. Right. It was suggested by Mike. He says, "You know, people like names, and so let's let's figure it out." Uh, he was very uh, forthcoming, and he called me up. We talked about an hour. He was talk we were talking about a lot of things, and he shared with me some of the things that I was experienced with these, and you know, and other things. So he, you know, he was very helpful, uh, reassurance, and supportive. And he also gave a shout out on his own um, his own webpage. It was great. So shout out to Mike for that. Um, and from there. It's that was only what two years ago, and yeah. from right. there I am just looking to put them into the genes that I the genes that I really like and support, which is the IMG, which people don't like, and the fire dead end gene, and so <laughs> we're here to, to uh, we're going to go down that road that it's not even doesn't even exist. It's not less trial, but it doesn't really exist because nobody has these genes. I think only two people on the planet has ever seen a normal carbon, right? Which is me and Serge. And then only three people have seen in person the Aztec version, and they're mm -hmm. very different. There's, it is, you know, until I produce another carbon litter from a different pairing, I, I'm only 98% sure I like what I have uh, until I do that, <laughs> until I'm 100% happy with what I have. Yeah, I'm 100% so sure I like, I'm 100% sure I like what you have. <laughs> yeah, same here, dude. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Let me, for one second, um, I think a cool side story was that when two years ago, when we were, when, 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 um, me and Kenny were making all this stuff and we were breeding what double heads and triple heads together is that, um, we actually made, um, the Spectre, which is the RDR VPI and the, uh, one day apart. Like I think Kenny made his yep. first and I think the very next day, I, cause me and him text like every day and he texts me, like yeah. he texts me the picture of what he made and I was like, Oh my God! You motherfucker! Yeah, and I was out of town, and I had um, a buddy. Yeah, we I had actually Brad. Had, Brad went and and checked on my litter and showed me what I got, and I was like, it was just so cool that we got to see. I think I saw that baby like the day after it was born too, man, because I used to look yeah. kind of close to Brad. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just really unbelievable that here we are. We've been friends for ten plus years, and yep, unknowingly we're kind of working towards the same things, or knowingly, I guess, but um. It was just really cool to see see his success and then see my success. And then I remember we were talking about kind of names and stuff. And I remember I was talking to Mike, too. And uh, he picked a great name, man. Like, it really fits the morph. Like, it just looks like that's what it looks like. And his they're they're similar, but they have a lot of differences, man. And, and, and I can't imagine what Kenny felt like when he opened up that tub. He actually saw, like, what he was thinking of or what he had an idea in his mind the entire time of what that carbon would actually look like. It's just... It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool story. So, Kenny, for yeah, those it, who are synergistic, yeah, for those that are unfamiliar with um, with the carbon line itself, kind of describe it a little bit and tell me how it differs from other Anri uh, boa lines that are out there. Well, my only, I mean, Anries are all over the internet and the pictures and such, and you really don't get a very, uh, very good idea what they actually look like. So, I've only seen two Anries in person. Uh, one being a uh, IMG annery that I got from Mike, and one uh, Type One annery that I got from it was a, uh, from Chaz. It was a Het uh, VPI. Mm -hmm. So, to me, that annery that Chaz has was mesmerizing. It's you know it was a beautiful Type One, 
and which I'm very fond of. So, you know, the type one snows are very fond with them. But it's the tail that just, you, you can't grasp what you're looking at. You're kind of just staring at it and it, it, it mesmerizes you, but you don't know why. And you just stare at it and it's just it's this beautiful freaking thing. And it reminds me like when I was, uh, I think it was 15, 16, I got a Honda Interceptor. Uh, which is beautiful 500 cc bicycle uh, motorcycle and it was just the most beautiful thing and I couldn't believe that I had it in my possession and it was there for me but anyway that <laughs> that to me was a replica of those kind of things that you feel it because I do appreciate the type one but I don't have a lot of experience with them because I fell upon this this uh, rare mutation at the time uh, so how they compare basically what I've seen with mine is that they have a you know, the darker saddles, they have um, this lighter hue and it's almost a purplish tint yes. uh, throughout the saddles. And some of it's clean, some of it's not. You have Aztecs, you have Normals, they're all very different. Uh, they have the black eyes and that's a standout. Um, it just, and then you go through the phases like any other boa, you know, they, they look, they'll eat, they'll, after shedding, they'll eat and you have a couple of days and you go and open the bin and they glow. It is yeah. just this crazy looking thing. And then three weeks later, they start to darken up and they shed and they do it all over. And so to me, and it's the same thing with the carbon, is that every shed is like Christmas. It's like, oh, shit, what am I going to see today? And I hope yeah. it's not yellow. And I open it and I'm like, motherfucker, right? Oh. And I love it. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's an awesome thing. So that's the only difference that I see. Now, Chaz would be a better uh, indicator because he's seen everything. He's seen them both. He's seen the RDR, yeah. the carbon, and the top end type ones yeah in your opinion Chaz, uh how do you what kind of stands out about the carbon when you end up looking at it versus you know all the other lines of um, it's to me so seeing both side by side when you really stare at them an rdr is a naturally it wants to be a, a darker snake it's right it's a so i think part of it is a testament to kenny's um the quality of of maybe as Aztecs and some of the very, very intense red color. But for me, when I've, when I've gotten Kenny's black eyed anneries, let alone separate from the Aztec, they're, they're, they're a little cleaner. They're just a crisper black. And then under, like he was saying, he was trying to, he was saying is that underneath, depending on the time of day and depending on when you feed them or whatnot, they can be purple underneath. It's very, it's a very hard color, um, kind of a color scheme to kind of, to get a picture of, let alone because they're very active animals, but just to capture to capture what they actually look like, um, I would just say they're a, a little crisper black. Um, they're a little cleaner, and then underneath, it's just it's just it's just a little different, and that's why I feel like it it, it varies a little bit more from the RDR and the Spectre. Is that um, the, the RDR is just a darker, um, a slightly more speckled. And, and sometimes the undertone doesn't come through the way that a lot of Kenny's carbons are. Like, if you look at what Kenny has right now, if I sent you a picture of my Spectre, it is, it is depending on the time of day, it's a white and, it's a white and almost black snake, or a, or a gray, a silver and black snake. Kenny's Spectre, or Kenny's um, carbons are, the undertone can be stark, stark white, like a crisp, almost bluish white. But then it's contrasted with a very, very clean black. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense. That's that's what I. No, seen. absolutely, man. Like I, I know just from what I've seen, it's almost like a like a bluish purplish hue. I, I, that's the best yes. way I can describe it, right? Yeah, yeah. And comparatively to my to my specters, 
uh, a Spectre is a awesome snake and they go through a lot of color changes, but a Spectre is more of a silver, it's more of a silverish and sometimes um, gray. It's more of a silverish gray as opposed to Kenny's carbons really, really get very white. And um, right. you know, it's not to say we can't get there. They're two different genes that, well, personally what I think, but um, you know, I could do more refining on my end, but Kenny, I think I feel like Kenny's more ahead of me on on that aspect. But um, he just—they're very, very unique snakes. I've never seen anything like it. I, I literally—I was flabbergasted when he sent me those pictures. Of those I just couldn't believe how how crisp. It's like a crisp, crisp white, and um, yeah, it's just different. I don't know. It's just different, man. It's a different uh, color palette. Yeah, man. And I, honestly, dude, I think having this different line of carbon really kind of uh, adds to the hobby because as as you kind of mentioned each one of the lines of anery um coming out there really provides us like a, a different ingredient right and Absolutely. depending on what you're trying to do with your collection or what your uh direction you're trying to move towards one of these lines might be better for you than another line right but yeah. having the ability to bring in a snake that has a white background right yeah like a truly truly white background yeah into any project out. you know that really really is super super powerful if you think about it because right now the reality is most of the snakes that we see that start with a white background eventually turn into like a buckskin color as they age right and yeah. thus far like the carbon gene really hasn't demonstrated that i i, I think of it this way and i've <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think of it this way and i've heard other breeders that you've had on your podcast say we're we're nothing more than artists we have a limited color palette, and that's how right. I view it. I, I view myself as an artist. Um, we have a limited color palette, and the more different colors we can add into the color palette, it's the, the possibilities are unknown. Who knows how it interacts with these other genes that we haven't even began to touch, and you don't know it. I mean, we're still, look, look how long Sharp's been around, and people are just now starting to produce true purple Sharps. Right. Um, you know, you just, you just really have no idea how these different lineages, lineages and let alone, um, the morphs are, are going to interact. So we need, we need stuff like Kenny's black eyed anery badly. You know, it's something that we haven't had. It's something that's very, very new that we haven't been able to mix in anything. Um, and it has unlimited potential, unlimited potential. Yeah, for sure, man. So, um, Kenny, what projects are you currently working on using the carbon? So, uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I know you've touched on a couple of this that you've, you're throwing a yep. little bit of fire on there, but what else are you kind of working on that you're... That's pretty much it. Say? I mean, I have, be, because I've, <laughs> I didn't know I had the gene in, in it, and I use that Aztec, which I love, and it is, yeah. he's still around, and I posted pictures of him the other day. He uh, has bred into the cow, and we oh, wow. have, and also into the, uh, a ghost, super ghost. Right. So I have the hypo gene, I have the cow gene, I have... Uh, Aztec, Roswell, and yes. Rustex yep. that have it in there. And so now that's another five years down the line before I get to prove that out. I have a, you know, it's going to take some time. It's just, I got to focus on one thing or the other. So <laughs> those, I've been trying. And, you know, I have seven breed, I, I do seven pairings on average a year. Two right. will hit. That's just, yep. and that's perfect for me because I'm limited on space. Uh, it's ideal. And I, you know. It's so those are the things that I'm going to hopefully see down the line, but you know, the IMG and fire. So ultimately, I'd be happy to see in 10 years a IMG carbon labby fire. 
Let's see what it would look like. Oof. For yeah. shits and giggles, you know. <laughs> you could have all the opinions oh, yeah. on, on how that would look, but I'm going to do it, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So yeah. those are, you know, you know, as an artist, you know, I'm a Picasso. I'll make some yeah. ugly snakes. It just <laughs> takes time, man. Time and persistence. It does. It does. Yeah, if my snakes, I do what I want, kind of a deal, and everybody's going to have an opinion. And, yeah. yeah. No, definitely, man. So this next question is actually for Chaz because I know this might, you know, you're, you're a pretty humble guy, Kenny. So I, I think mm. Chaz is probably po mm. poised a little bit better to answer this since he's a little bit more detached from it. the project, right? So, um, Chaz, why do you feel that the carbon is poised to become one of the major projects in the hobby in coming years? Um, well, number one thing I would say because of the quality, like, like we talked about, like Kenny started with quality. Even the normal Aztecs from the project and the VPI Aztecs that he made are great. But, um, man, it's really unlimited. If you talk about, we haven't got Jungle in it, we haven't got Key West into it, Fire, Labyrinth, um, all these other genes blood. that are, are blood. Exactly, absolutely, blood. Um, that can kind of tweak what he's already done. It's just, um, it's a hardy gene. And uh, I think once you get even more of some of these um, color enhancers, cleaners, um, and then we're not even talking about pastel lines um, added into that. It's just, and it's something that's, that, that, that I think very few people have actually sat down and thought about or invested in. So I know I have some, I know a few people that have some, but I really don't know too many people that, that have really delved, you know, jumped in head first. So, um, you know, there's really nothing, there's really nothing that I can think of that, that you can't really add this to. It's let, we could add it into call, like Kenny said, we could add it into blood. Um, labyrinth all the anything just just anything i think that um i think you're really it's really the ticket to to maybe some 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 true purple blue snakes down the road um yeah, yeah it, it it really it really is hypo um you know it's 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 just there's there's i can't tell you the future but i everything that i see in eye collection i think well i'd like to add that too oh well i'd like to add that too um so I, I, I can't really give you a hundred percent answer other than I would love to do the work to mix it into all these other genes that I already have. Cause I, I like the way it looks in a normal black eyed Henry. I like the way it looks in a black eyed, uh, an Aztec and I love Kenny's carbons. So right. like there's, it's a no brainer for me. Like it's a great gene. It's the same as like a labyrinth gene. Like we've barely seen what labyrinths have done, but everything it touches, it's, it's, it's great. Like there's, it, it's an absolutely, it's a, it's a 10 out of 10, and I feel the same exact way out of, uh, about all the stuff that Kenny's working on. Yeah, no, I, I'll kind of second that. I'll, I'll throw my two cents in here. I think what the gene is really doing is it's providing us the ability to add a crisp black and white pattern or, yeah. you know, color into any, pa any, any project that we're working on, right? And that's something that in the past, you know, it's been possible but it's been extremely rare to find a snake that's either a high contrast level of white or a high contrast level of black, right? Yeah. Finding a snake that has both in one is just hasn't been available up to this point, right? It's a home run. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think, here's another thing I think. What is, what is the snake that kind of, maybe I'm a little behind the times too because I'm not on social media and I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little bit out of touch, but what is a snake that everybody loves? Everybody wants a VPI snow or a VPI snow combo, right? Right. Well, what is kind of the next step in the evolution of that? It's exactly what Kenny's doing, and he's he's already he's already doing it. You know, like we've already seen kind of the we've kind of seen kind of the run of the gamut of what a VPI snow has to offer, 
and I know guys are working on pastel lines, but we understand and we see what it looks like. We see quality lines, we see different stuff, we see combos, we see morphs attached. We, we see what it is, but as far as the carbons, we've seen nothing. We've seen the carbon right. and we've seen the Aztec. We, we, we've really seen nothing. So what, 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 is a, what is a hypo snow carbon gonna look like? You know, right. like what, what, right. is a hypo, what is a hypo lab or a hypo lab fire carbon gonna look like? These things you can't answer, so you can't. What's a Key West no, carbon gonna look like? You know exactly, what I mean? exactly. Like no one can tell you these things. The, the proof will be in the pudding when he makes them or I make them. And um, I really, I really, really think, and it's not to throw anyone under the bus, but I really think that the people that, that don't, that aren't kind of looking at it like, wow, this is a brand new, a brand new ingredient or a brand new color that, that nobody has or that's not been never touched. Uh, and if you don't have it down the road, by the time people are working on this thing and making these things, you're just going to feel like, why didn't I do that? Or You know, honest, honestly, you know what this reminds me of? And this is kind of a ball python you know similarity right here but this reminds me of when orange dream came out you know what mm -hmm. i mean all the people that early on with when orange dream came out were like well it's just a pastel no big deal mm -hmm. you know what i mean and people were blowing it off and then fast forward 10 years later now it's like one of the key ingredients in all of the ball python hobby right like yeah. in order to produce a really truly clean snake ball python wise it's got to have some od in it you know yeah that's how you make everything better yeah and i'll even second you on that you know what it reminds me of from when we were talking earlier it reminds me of the leopard and the and the blood gene right. why were people so resistant like you talked about it was central american stuff obviously but why were people so resistant just nobody did the breedings for a long period of time and here Kenny is doing the breedings, putting in the work over a long span of time, and he has it available. He has a ton of them for sale. You know, he has quality ones for sale. It's just who's going to take the step and who's going to believe in it or who's going to see the potential of it. I don't know. I can't. I see, I, I see it. I see from those animals I've gotten. I've been fortunate to go over Kenny's, but it's just um, it's very unique, man. It's just a different, to put it simply, it's just a different color palette than there is available anywhere else. And I have the, and I'll be honest with you, I have an RDR gene, and it's it's just different. It's not yeah. it's not the same. It doesn't look the same. Um, the animals are different. They don't act the same to me. Um, you know, that's just that's just my take on it. Yeah, no, and I'm with you now. You know, I'm now bought into the project with Kenny, and then obviously I have some RDR animals over here at my place. So I get it, man. To me, I treat them as completely different ingredients, right? And they're yeah. being utilized for different purposes in different projects. But I think that kind of serves as a really good transition to our next topic, and that's really talking about dinkers and how do you work a new project, right? So one of the things that we've heard is from the carbon to the scoria to the TNS gene, we know that sometimes new morphs tend to pop up randomly in captive collections, right? The days of new morphs being imported from overseas are slowly going away. Though there's still a possibility, they're now a rarity, right? Versus how it, back in the days, that was really the only way we were getting new genes, right? Mm -hmm. So as we heard from Kenny while he was covering the story about how he kind of stumbled upon the carbon gene, your ability to prove, to identify, prove, and market a gene correctly can basically make or break the future of the gene, right? And some of our seasoned guys have recalled projects that have occurred in the past that had amazing potential like the Desert T-Plus and the Granite Gene being absolutely wasted by their founders who didn't know how to market it properly to the hobby, right? And then basically because of those founders not really knowing how to effectively market, how to effectively sell, right? And how to hold and maintain a good level of pricing on it, essentially those projects ended up dying out for the most part, right? 
So with that being said, Kenny, what kind of game plan have did you use when you started uh, proving out the carbon? Uh, just as anything else, you keep the best and sell the rest. And you know, of course, it didn't, it, uh, with the exception of one or two people, it no, it didn't sell. People weren't into it, which was fine. And I, I'm thankful now. I, mean, I needed the money back then, but it didn't. It didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. Uh, and then in 2016, I went ahead and did a repeat, uh, repeat breeding of that pair and got the same results. And same thing, very slow sales. You know, they were priced high. Uh, of course, if you buy five or more, you get a discount, actually two or more. But, you know, Chaz is one <laughs> of the guys that came through. <laughs> There's a couple other people that came through and got it. One guy buys one. And, you know, it's just one of those things you kind of wing it. Uh, and figure it out as you go along. And of course, the interest was low. It's a new morph. Nobody wanted to pay these kind, you know, a couple thousand dollars on something that was probably talked down and whatever drama was behind it. And uh, luckily for me, it, I didn't make a lot, didn't sell a whole lot uh, for them, for somebody to go out and try to uh, recreate a carbon snow. They probably sold what they had because they got it cheap or whatever. They just lost interest. Or lost faith in it so I, I think there's maybe four people right now that actually have the capability of reproducing it um, so limiting the amount that went out but after the uh, visual snows came out prices went up they stayed up and they stayed firm and they're right. still firm and they still stand where they are today and so it limits the amount of people who are going to get into it change their mind flip it and so now these genes are you know it, i'm never going to wholesale it i'm never going to broker it and so it minimizes the amount of uh, stray genes that are out there that could pop up somewhere in europe later on right so that's one of the things that i tried to um take control of in the beginning well beginning meaning the after i realized that they were viable for the the uh t t plus yeah. So let me ask you, uh, as far as that kind of that breeding game plan, when you first popped up and you thought, okay, this is potentially something new, how did you go about uh, essentially proving it out to make sure that you did indeed oh. have something new? Well, re uh, this is the the shitty part of it is that you got pos hits. You know, right. you, when you head to head, you're going to have pos hits. And so you take a gamble. Yeah, I, you look at certain things, and I don't meticulously look at the scales and, and the head spears and the belly scale, whatever it is that people know that I don't know, that I just look at the whole animal and I see certain things, and that's right at birth. You see, they stick out in that goo, and Absolutely. I know right away that's a whole back, that's a whole back, that's a whole back. And so you do your thing, and you kind of watch them shed and then you see them progress and you start seeing this this pattern of acceleration in color and uh, other things it's, it's hard to explain there's the hues and such uh, so that was my prove out pattern in that I would s pick out these standout animals breed them back together and lo and behold five out of six poshets hit right so I don't know what it is. It just—it's a collection of a number of things because you got the VPI on an unknown anery gene. How do you pick it out of a, a normal versus a T visual T versus a, uh, a a carbon that is possible head T? There's so many variances and so many things to look at. I don't know. It, it just—it's a gut feeling and um, impulse kind right. of thing. And I've been right. lucky so far.
Yeah, man. So um, you alluded to it earlier, but as far as being able to market this and create the name Carbon, I know you said that uh, uh, Mike Weitzman kind of gave you a little bit of head, uh, you know, help on that one, trying to identify mm-hmm. the name. But basically, how have you been able to market that name and kind of differentiate and maybe correct some people that's that you know would make assumptions about this particular gene? Well, first and foremost, you got to get into Google. So therefore, you got to tag it everywhere. You got to push it out there. You know, what I did is I just, on my social media, I just put it out there as much as I can. And at some point, um, people will see it, read it, take the time to read it. And I got a, it's a project's two years old, and I got a yeah. guy today asked me, how can you tell the difference? I'm like, mm. <laughs> come on, you figure it out yourself. On, it's on my, it's on my freaking page. Oh. So you tag it, and you do the hashtags. And now if you, if you, if you Google or one search uh, carbon boa, it'll come up and then you do your research, you, you know, you be a big boy and you figure it out yourself. Right. And it was on my, you know, every, it's on my Facebook. It, it's the history page, picture by picture. It's for everybody there. Nothing is hidden. Everything is there for anybody else to investigate, do their own research and figure out if it's something for them. Yeah, you and know what, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought way. that up because I think one of the things that has killed projects in the past, right, is the lack of transparency, right? So, for example, uh, recently uh, we started talking a lot about this granite gene, right? And this granite gene is pretty badass looking, man. It almost looks almost pietish. But the problem is when you go out to the guy that originated the gene, he doesn't want to tell you a damn thing about how the gene works, what it's, you know, uh, you know how what it's associated with, how it ended up popping up, other than it was a random mutation that ended up occurring. He won't even tell you, you know, how it reproduces. Is it codominant? Is it recessive? He won't tell anybody, right? So that dude is essentially (laughs) shooting. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the dude is shooting himself in the foot on that. And and, uh, I remember, I I think it was especially, especially when he's asking those prices. Yeah, exactly. And like, I I remember, I think it was TJ Blevins or somebody else, shout out to TJ out there, that ended up uh, bringing up the fact that somebody had seen uh, one of these snakes at a local reptile show. And the guy basically had like a bare bones setup, right? He had basically a tablecloth and that's it. No lights, not like about as unprofessional of a setup as you could potentially get, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm not trying to shit on the guy, but it is what it is. The dude isn't mark. He's asking really big money for that particular gene. But yet he's marketing it with a bunch of, you know, mystery associated behind it and asking ridiculous prices, right? And if somebody's going to drop, you know, a significant amount of money in the tens of thousands for a particular animal, you got to be as transparent as possible because essentially you're partnering up with that person, right? Yeah. Their, their success is directly tied into your success. You're right? buying from them and you're trusting from them. Yeah, I think a little bit of education goes a long way. And especially in the bow world, I've noticed that, especially I look at myself, I'm not, I haven't been very good about educating people about stuff, but I look at ball python people and they, they're putting videos out all the time and they're doing podcasts and they're doing all this other educational stuff. And I feel like it gives people, I've talked about it before, but um, Justin Kabalka, he, he informs people and he educates people about what they're buying and what they're seeing and kind of the, the combinations and how they interact. So when people, when, so when he's asking five, six, seven thousand dollars, people are comfortable. But yeah, right. if, you're, if you're at a show and you're not even going to tell me if it's recessive or it's codom, you know, you're, it's not a good start, man. It's, it's, it's going to be very, very hard for you to, for anyone to justify in BOAs spending that money and taking that, 
taking that time to actually prove it out. You know, it's just, you're buying, exactly like you said, Carlos, you're buying from the person. You're trusting the person. That's why I said you want to have a person with high character, a person that, that, that does things the right way. And I mean, he could be a good guy, but he's just not, he's not putting in the effort to educate people. Right, right. And at the end of the day, if you don't put in that effort, that makes me feel like you do not feel that my investment into your project is worth my time, right? Yeah. Or it's worth your time, right? So therefore, you know, why would I want to drop, you know, 10000 or $15,000 yeah. into your particular project, right? So yeah. that kind of brings up a really good question, Kenny. When you finally proved this out and you ended up hitting that snow, how did you decide you know, number one, who to sell to at the beginning of the project. And number two, how did you even, uh, you know, establish a baseline price for your new morph? Well, I only let one go. It was a female and it was an Aztec version. And $12,000 sounds about right based on what I've seen in the past on a rare mutation. Uh, and a snow it sounds about right. Yeah. So guess who has that? You set the base price. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Take a guess. Take a guess. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let Kenny say. I'm not going to call him out, but yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, he's already posted it, but yeah. he's, he's, a, oh, he's okay. a local California guy. Yeah. See, I'm not on social media, but yeah, Sergio. Yeah. Yep. Good yep. for him. So he, he, took the, he took the dive. He went and we, we met in, in a parking lot. Uh, <laughs> and I brought along with, some, with some, some examples of what I had. And so he's the only person that's ever seen a non-Aztec version of the carbon gene. Right. So he got a test for, and this is, this is uh, when it was only a couple months old. It's improved. It's gotten bolder and things have improved a little bit as far as the coloration. Uh, so he's yet to see that, but he has an Aztec version, and I think only other person that has seen it was Roscoe. Yeah, uh, he, when he visited. So who know? I so when you have a, uh, something like this, either you're going to get inquired. The pricing is the the main point. You're going to have something that's going to be extremely high because it's rare. It's deserving of that price, uh, and then you're going to have somebody who's going to want to buy a trio or a couple. You know, and then you get a little bit of a discount with that. Those are serious buyers that I would consider other than friends and people who I know are already uh, well educated in all the Morse. And they made their decision long before they even approached me whether or not this was something that they're worthy of or that they felt that was worthy of their investment. So Sergio obviously is, you know, he's one of my favorite breeders. And uh, so it was easy sell for him. Uh, for me to make that decision to sell to him. And anybody else, when they buy one pos hit, it's like, why are you buying a pos hit? Why don't you buy a trio? You know, why aren't you going right. to prove it out? What is your goal? What is your, you know, so I don't sell to these people, not anymore. And I used to just to pay the bills, but not anymore. So I'm, I, I, held, I held back my entire um, hypo litter from a uh, high-tech head carbon to a, uh, the original father of the carbon littered which is a double hit snow held back every single thing because i'm not selling that to anybody because what are they going to do with it they're they're you know 50 percent hit vpi um th- i need to see them grow out and i need to see how the color changes which by the way i cannot capture the reds oranges and these re- i was gonna say retarded can i say retarded yeah. retarded colors that are just incomprehensible and i can't capture it on the camera so this is my private little thing those are not going to be sold to anybody until I drop another litter, which is hopefully I'm going to do the same thing with a different uh, 100% head T uh, litter. Right. Um, so I limit my sales 
control the market, price them high. If they're willing to invest that kind of money, I'm willing to discuss selling to them. Um, but again, when they buy one animal, it's kind of like, well, well what, do you have any animals in your collection? Okay, then let's talk, where'd you get it from? All right, so I see you're, you're, you know what you're doing. Here's my price. If you're going to pay, pay it. If not, I'll keep going. Yeah, no, that's great, man. And I think that's actually a really good model to end the following. One of the things that uh, I think I had talked to Oz uh, a while back about, and that's the fact that when he first started letting you know snakes out for the Orange Dream kind of side of the house and a couple of other projects similar, uh, is he is, he initially allowed investment in only females, and the only way you were able to get a male is if you ended up picking up a female along the way, right? So. I think uh, I think those are really good strategies uh, to be able to control market price the first few years. And one of the things that people need to keep out there, especially if you happen to stumble upon a new morph, is really uh, the best way to control market price is to ensure that you end up establishing a good partnership to the with the people you sell with, right? So that way, if those people run into any sort of financial issues, or maybe they decided to get out of a particular you know gene. at that point that they give you at least the opportunity to have the, to purchase those original animals back first, right? Or yep. at least allow somebody else who's invested in the project to purchase those animals instead of going out there and dumping them for, you know, pennies on the dollar. Oh, and I've done that. And, you know, a lot of times I've done it twice and it's, it's the same thing happens. It's like, how are you going to dispute the fact that the temp probe fell out? and everything died you know and and that they didn't sell these animals and the contract that you agreed upon was not null and void anyway you know it's i've seen people do that and i've worked that project out that way where you know you you breed these animals you're going to get them at a, at a wholesale cost or above wholesale and you share with me your outcomes and you you know pictures and you promise to you know breed the project out so that was something that i I've done and failed at because I've, you know, how are you going to dispute the fact that the pro fell out and everything died? Right. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely, man. So let me ask you something. Um, what are some of the pitfalls people should avoid whenever they're proving out a new gene and marketing it? Uh, you know, I'm the worst person to ask for this because I'm just learning it and I'm fumbling through it. Um, no, actually, I think that that's what makes you the f- perfect person to ask this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then what I would do is just minimize, well, number one, outcross. Uh, get some strong genes in there. Minimize the amount of babies you make. Uh, I have, I mean, t- ideally, I keep my female small. I keep my male smaller. And I, 13, 20 babies is a big litter for me, and I don't want those kind of babies because you got so much byproduct and so many mouths to feed, and you can't wholesale these things, and you can't broker them out. I mean, you can, but you don't want to. But uh, so small litters, you keep them small. Uh, you don't go crazy, and you maintain the program within your means so you don't fall into a situation where you might have to do things that will uh, put these things out there in hands that, you know, like wholesale and brokerage or dumping them. And it just fucks up the market. I've seen people do it already. So, so early in the game, just, just, you know, sell it out. And then all of a sudden they, people see that. And then all of a sudden they don't want to invest in it. Because exactly. Cause and confidence is lost in the, in the project. Right. I mean, a prime example of, yeah. of what, panic selling and overproduction can do is look at the banana project within ball pythons right you're talking about a, a snake that went from being ten thousand dollars to five hundred dollars within a year <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. 
So, yeah. I mean, that's that serves as one of the greatest uh, warning stories, you know, as Trust far as me, I as know far that, as that. Is, isn't it? Yeah. That's going to be the dirty dozen, so we'll yeah. save that gripe for later. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah, man. So, um, Kenny and Chaz, uh, any other tips, basically, uh, in regards to working a new project? Take it, Chaz. Um, I'm I, 100% honest. I'm with Kenny. Um, I'm not – I don't feel like I'm a pioneer of anything. I'm just kind of figuring things out as I go. I ask a lot of questions of friends, but I would say, if anything um, – me and Kenny have similar friends and similar mentors. Ask ask someone that's done it done it before. Um, specifically for me, it's Mike Weitzman from Basically yeah. Bowers. Mm -hmm. um, he's a perfect role model because absolutely, I mean, Manning. I'd love to get Mike on the show. Yeah, Mike, yeah, if you're man. listening, man, we want you. He's you're really, really one Mike. Yep. Yeah, he's really one. Of, absolutely, he's really one of the godfathers of of, of boa breeding. You're not busy, Mike. <laughs> you just have to. Yeah. <laughs> I would love I would love to hear what he has to say, but you know. It gets into people who you trust, people who you look look up to, picking your mentors in the beginning. Like um, right. Mike pioneered has pioneered countless dozens of projects, specific, but specifically a lot of stuff you touched on with is um, the Paradigm Project. Right. He did the same exact things you talked you talked about with those. Um, he held back, he outcrossed, he controlled females and he controlled pairs, he controlled what he let go. He's done it all before. So um, I don't have the answers for you, but people like that, Tracy Barker. Yep. Um, Mike, Mike Weitzman, um, Jeff Ronnie has done similar stuff. Pick, pick people's brains that have been around and t stood the test of time and that have, have qu produced quality boas year in and year out. And, you know, they're kind of like, they're, they're, they're the benchmarks of, of the hobby. They're, they're really the people that you look up to. Well, for me, everyone, everyone's different. I'm giving you my opinion, which is you can take it. It's worth, it's worth nothing. But for me, just learn from people that have done it better they're better than you and, and have done it for a longer period of time and that you trust so i would ask ask mike ask tracy ask jeff ronnie or wh whoever it may be for you personally but um yeah if you have a question man those guys because they've done it before countless times jeff's done it with the labyrinths tracy's done it with the vpis mike's done it with countless projects um but specifically what comes to mind is the paradigms and um so that, that that's my two cents awesome man all right, guys, so now we are going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to hit the Dirty Dozen. All right, guys, we are back, and it's time for the Dirty Dozen. Kenny, I'm going to ask you 12 questions. You give me 12 answers. They can be as short or as long as you want. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. All right, number one, what is the size of your current collection? Uh, just under 100. I have 15 on uh, layaway. For lack of a big, that's a ghetto term. I'm sorry, what is it? Pay <laughs> Payment plan? <laughs> Payment plan, um, and then I have two litters brewing, which could be another 50 added. So, yeah, just a little over 100. Nice, man. Uh, number two, husbandry-related question. Are you a frozen and thought or live guy, and what's your favorite betting? Done it all. I am a 100% fan of Lane Labs. Uh, they're expensive, but because they're in California, the shipping's not that expensive. But they're, there's a little size disparities that create a challenge on the smaller uh, animals, but the quality is above and beyond anybody else that I've ever used. And I am a paper fan. I use unprinted newspaper from Paper Mart. 
Uh, I've done it all, but as far as keeping the hygiene and the integrity of the enclosures 100%, uh, papers do, for me it works the best because I scrape it down and the urates are a nightmare and I F10 it and do my thing that way and I'm comfortable with it. I have a system and it works best. Less dust too. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm I'm all about paper and the corrugated car cardboard that uh, Chaz yep. turned me on to a couple I, of years ago. And I hate Absolutely. waste. Yep. All right, man. Number three, what is your favorite morph or locality? All right, so it's well, for if it's a more uh, if it's a locality, it's Peruvians and um, Guyana's because of the tail and such, and just oh, yeah. beautiful, big, thick animals. It, but I don't have the room to. <laughs> breed those kind of animals anymore uh aztec uh i mean i was told in the beginning yeah nobody likes aztec there's a lot of drama behind it blah 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 but if it wasn't for the aztec gene i wouldn't even be doing boas right now yeah no that's a great pick man because one of the reality is that now the aztec has become like a necessary gene in most collections dude so Absolutely. i i, I think you definitely saw it well man Yep. All right, man. <laughs> Number four, what is the most overrated morph in your opinion? All right, so I'm going to be the, the odd man out on this one, and I'm going to go back to saying the Aztec was my favorite, but the most favorite everybody else that liked was the Motley, and I just could not get into the Motley in the beginning, you know, back in 2010, because it, it just reminded me of uh, the, the Dark Saddles, reminded me of the Dark Saddle... Um, yeah, bra it looked like saddles, you know, the, the horse saddles. Uh, and it just didn't can. do it for you. Just like a cheap, yeah. Yeah, cheap 1970 suit kind of. <laughs> it just didn't, it just didn't work with me. That's great. <laughs> that's funny, man. Oh, but man. I know everybody loves them, but that's the difference. And that's why it's such, bows are such a great thing because everybody has a difference of opinion. I'm just the odd man out on that one. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. All right, brother. Yep. Number five. What is the most underrated morph in your opinion? Fire, and it's well, black-eyed Henry, and there's a but that's new, and it's going to have its time, and so we just have to be patient. But the fire, and it was destroyed because of all the drama in the beginning, and you know people calling it a deaded morph without even seeing what people have tried to do with it. And if it was a deaded morph, would somebody as knowledgeable as Ronnie put it to their um, labby? Right. Exactly. Would I have put it to my Aztec if I didn't have any idea, you know, if I didn't see any future in it? So I think that's the that's the most underrated morph. Yeah, knowing I think it, one of the, one of the the things with fire is it it really reminds me of like Enchi. You know, it's 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 a morph that's a highlighter morph. It's a cleaner morph, right? You can kind of plug it into any project if you just essentially want to clean everything up. Actually, if if I were to compare it to anything ball python wise, it would be the desert ghost of the boa Absolutely. world. Right? Absolutely, awesome man. I love it. All right, brother. What next one? Uh, what is your favorite part of the hobby? Uh, breeding, the planning, the um, nursing. And the outcome is the best part of what you're doing. You're going to have failures. You're going to, you know, you do your plans and you, you do everything you got to do. You try different things. And then uh, when you do, uh, when you are successful and you see uh, if you happen to be there while it's happening or you come home to see a, a litter of goo, it's the best part of the uh, hobby. It's, to me, it just makes it worthwhile. It's the most awesome. exciting part to me anyway. Awesome, man. Number seven, what is the worst part of the hobby to you? Your eights. 
<laughs> Sometimes they're and, one and, and the I'll, same, I'll, bro. Yeah, I, was just Man, I don't know that. which Sundays. <laughs> it, it's it's funny, but it's because I seen the same thing with uh, green tree pythons in the beginning before I even got into boas, and it just you, you could have a hundred people who agree on every single thing in the hobby, but eventually you're going to have somebody nitpick somebody, and it's going to be a fight. Go to a go to a Glock forum or a firearms forum, and you ask the question. 45 ACP versus 10 minutes. Oh, dude. And you're going to have people threaten. You're going to have people want to kill each other <laughs> in 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I, don't I know it, man? Don't I know it, man? I actually, uh, <laughs> so one of the side gigs that I have is I actually own a uh, firearms and uh, military training academy up here in northern yeah. Arizona, right? So we see all the same thing. People yeah. sitting there and arguing, you know, oh, my caliber versus this caliber and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like, just hit the <laughs> damn target and worry about the calibers later. <laughs> I yeah. think I think what happens is is people don't have a voice in their natural world, and so they right. find a release in in the forums, and it's safety behind the keyboard, and it's okay. But I just I stay away from it. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man, on that one. All right, brother. Number eight. Uh, do you keep any other species, or and if not, is there any that you would like to keep? Well, I've had everything under the sun, but currently I am, I've invested a little bit in, in for right now, pets, is sand boas, anneries, and saharas, and whatever else I have. Right, now. I have a quad. And then I also bought a, because I love colubrids, I bought a uh, white side bull snake from Claudia's Reptiles. No, oh, nice. And I wasn't sure, because I don't have space to breed these things. Right now it's just a pet because I love colubrids. I haven't had one in my collection for a while. Um, I have fish. I always have fish. Uh, I have a, a little. I have a breeding program, which is fun. It's button quails. Oh, and nice! I will not admit to feeding anything to a hesitant uh, feeding snake in front of my daughter. <laughs> but the pets, <laughs> it's fun. You know, it's this and then tarantulas, which was it's my bucket list. You know, these all these things were on my bucket list that I never did. Right. That's what I always wanted to do. So I have a couple of tarantulas that are fun creep me out uh i'm not afraid of them anymore and now it's just extremely um fascinating i love it oh that's cool man all right brother number yeah. nine what's a common misconception about you that i shave my legs <laughs> i don't <laughs> oh man uh, i'm a classy broad i wax you know i use a, <laughs> a unicorn earwax no honestly i don't know and i don't care i don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me hey that's all good brother that's the way to be my uh, man all right, number 10. What makes you say, what was I thinking when you look back at your time in the hobby? Well, I mean, we all make mistakes and we learn from them. And I think those are valuable mistakes. Uh, they hurt sometimes. But I can't say that, what was I thinking? But I think one of the things that hurt me the mo hurts me the most is paying full price for a pair of fires back in two th uh, 2013. Ooh, and ouch. watching that money drop and people selling them for a tenth of what I paid for them. It, it was a hard pill to swallow, but I'm over it. I'm good. I made my, my white snakes and I am investing back. So, uh, with my projects now. Yeah. Well, here's the beauty on that. I honestly think that the prices of fires are going to go back up. You know what I mean? I, I think so. as people, are, as people are discovering the value in that particular morph, I think little by little you're going to start seeing the prices rise. And that's something that obviously there's a precedence in, you know, the ball python industry with spot nose, with Enchi, and with red stripe. You know what I mean? So once people actually see the value when something is mixed correctly, I, it, it will drive mm -hmm. prices back up. 
and that's our responsibility for investors to bring that price back up. So there you go. I'll just I haven't dumped it. I'm, I've invested on it. Go ahead, Chad. There you go. I'll just say my two cents. Um, some of the stuff it. I've seen, but specifically just the, the, the Labyrinth Fire stuff was enough for me to be like, hey, what, what are we thinking about here, man? Like, look, look at these. This is just a, this is just, um, you know, one codom added into it. You know, what if uh, there's so many other stuff that you could add into it that would just put it off the charts, you know, let alone what about an Annery? What's an Annery Lab yeah. Fire? <laughs> what, what, you know, like what? There, there, there's so many things. Put IMG on top of it. When you put IMG on top of it, when with those IMG labyrinths that Jeff already made, it doesn't black out as an adult. At least right. from the s stuff I've seen, it, it maintains the labyrinth shines through. So I mean, it it just takes time. I I feel like I'm I'm pretty confident that Kenny will prove people wrong. But I I there's nothing but potential. And yeah, it just it just takes time to to kind of show people, especially you and Jeff will pee. Yeah. <laughs> I I would love I would love to make I would love to make more of them, but you know it's just the species that we work with. We don't have the condensed amount of time or the, you know, it's not ball pythons. We can't turn these things around. Um, yeah, and, and the projects can't get fast forwarded the way they are with bows. It just takes time, but we'll get yeah. there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Number eleven. What's one tip you would give the people looking to invest in bows and reptiles? Uh don't do what I do or did. And I'll give an example. Um, I put $20,000 of reinvestment where I bought cages and, and Tracy stock and everything else on a credit card. And I turned that credit card and I put it over to a 18 month zero interest balance transfer loan on Citibank. Oh, actually Capital One. And so basically what I had was a 18 month interest free loan that's crazy as fuck. Don't do that. <laughs> and don't breed head to, uh, pos heads to pos heads. I mean, I've been incredibly yeah. lucky. I've done it. So anything you see me do, and I post everything I do online, don't do what I do. Yeah. Uh, I'm my own guy, and I, I'll make the mistakes you could, but don't follow me. I'm not an example. I'm not Charles Barkley. Well, I am Charles Barkley. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am not I'm a role not model. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm paid to create havoc. Awesome, man. Number 12, yeah. any yep. shout outs, guys? Chaz, oh. because he was the first person to come by, see my stuff, post, uh, prop me up on the internet, introduced me to Tony P, and he's yeah. been a support, uh, and, and uh, everything since and today, and that's 10 years in the making, and he's always been a motivator. So thank you. Shout out to Chaz. Uh, shout out to my family, my mother and father for putting up with my shit, and my wife who just walked by, and my kids for putting up all this shit. Uh, I've had snakes and creepy animals all throughout the house all the time and kick them out of the house just now to do this podcast and just <laughs> back in uh shout out to tracy barker for her assistance and support in the beginning steve eric for the insights that he's given me in the beginning and to Chaz for uh his continued support and uh for introducing me to tony and for tony uh, giving me insight, Tony P, by the way, everybody, yep. for giving me the insight. I've been to his place many times, even after he got out of Boas, and he just, he's one of the greatest guys, and he's given me a lot of uh, information into uh, the hobby and such. And to Carlos for doing these damn podcasts, man, because it really makes it fun, and I think it's going to be a huge help for everybody uh, to listen to stupid people like me and to listen to the big boys. So when you get Jeff and Mike on these, I think it's really going to blow up all right guys well that wraps it up for today kenny and Chaz, tell the people out there where they can see more animals or learn more about you oh uh, it's 
It's Bo Affliction, one word, uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. That's it. Chaz? Um, I occasionally post some stuff on Morph Market, and you can email me at chaztech1 at yahoo.com. <laughs> there you go. Going old school. Yeah. Going old All school right, with guys. the Yahoo account. All right, brothers. Awesome, man. Well, guys, that is it for tonight. Uh, for those interested, you guys can find us on uh, Facebook and on Instagram under Morphs Unleashed. And also, uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and every other podcast outlet that's out there. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are out. Guys, that was easily my favorite episode so far. Thanks to Kenny Saito of Bow Affliction for joining us today. Join us on our next episode as we speak with Chase Baker of Designer Reptiles. We're going to talk about his work with the VPI gene over the years. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Do us a favor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Until next time, grow them slow.